Hey, what's going on, y'all? I'm Nanurl, and you're listening to Unpacked Angles with me. These episodes were recorded for the Unpacked Angles YouTube channel. So if you'd like to watch the accompanying video, you can find the link in the description. If not, feel free to sit back, listen, and enjoy. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we are getting into a few terms that I think are essential for you as professionals to know. So if you are just starting out and don't really know too much or you're just interested, this will be a good resource for you to kind of get your feet wet a little bit more on some of the theoretical things in the background. And if you're already in the field, hopefully this will be a good refresher for you. So I wanted to break this up into two parts because I feel like UX has so many moving parts that it can sometimes get a little confusing understanding what it is and then how you do it and do it well, <laughs> which is such a challenge for literally everybody. So for part one, I want to focus on things that are kind of in the background, those underlying foundational topics that you really have to understand and know how to apply in order to do your job well. I would encourage you to go out and look for more because there are way more. I'll provide a few links in the description below so that you can get more information on the different terms that I talk about in this video. And I'll also be making other videos in the future, which I will eventually link um, to in the description below as well. But enough of that, let's get started. Term number one is bias. Bias is a tendency or prejudice against or toward something or someone. So a bias can actually be positive or negative. So an example of a positive bias would be if you knew your, your best friend owned a restaurant and you went to that restaurant, ate the food and left a rating, your rating is probably going to be biased toward that restaurant because your best friend owns it. So you're gonna give that restaurant five stars and a good review positive but if you were to go to a restaurant that's owned by somebody you don't care for then the opposite might be true you could have had a pretty good experience and the food might have been good but you might be more likely to rate it a little lower than you would have if your best friend owned it and that would be an example of a negative bias they're usually based very heavily on stereotypes without actual knowledge of the person or situation. It's really important as a UX professional to check your own bias and understand that your users and the people who you talk to and interact with will have biases as well. Which brings us to term number two, fallacy. A fallacy is defined as a false or mistaken idea. There are so many different types of fallacies out there and it is ridiculous how much you learn about yourself and your thinking once you look them up. One example is the correlation causation fallacy. This fallacy is all about the idea that just because one event happened before another one, it doesn't mean that they're related. For example, if you had a website and you decided to change the background color from white to gray, in the month of June and also in that same month you saw an increase in visitors to your site you saying that you had more visitors to your site because of this color change is a fallacy it's not necessarily true you have to kind of go in and dig a little deeper and find out okay so what else was going on you automatically thinking that those things are correlated that's a mistaken conclusion fallacy is very closely related to bias 
Biases have more to do with how you take in information and shape your thoughts, whereas fallacies are how you communicate that information. So they're really based in mistakes in reasoning or flawed logic. Term number three, heuristic. Heuristics is all about helping humans discover and learn things for themselves. In UX, we do heuristic evaluations to make sure that that can actually happen. You can kind of think of them as rules of thumb. So there are 10 main usability heuristics and I won't go into detail about them, but if you're interested, I've linked a source in the description so you can check them out. These were created by Jacob Nielsen. If you don't know who Jacob Nielsen is, I would encourage you to pause this video, open up another tab, and look him up, along with Don Norman. I am positive that you will be referring to the Nielsen Norman Group's resources a lot of the time. I know I am. So I'll definitely put that link below in the description as well. Term number four, mental models. James Clear, the author of one of my favorite books, Atomic Habits, explains mental models beautifully. They're basically a framework or worldview that you have to help you interpret and understand the things in the world and how they're related. So they're deeply held beliefs that each one of us has on how the world works. We use them essentially as thinking tools to help us understand life, solve problems, and make decisions. The thing is, they're not necessarily based on fact. <laughs> the best ones are incredibly useful in helping us make good decisions quickly. So as it applies to UX, it's really important for you to understand what your mental model is, especially when it comes to your products and how they work and what your user's mental model is or what they are and if there are any gaps in between. That is the most important part because it is your job to figure out how to bridge that gap successfully. If you design a button that you know in your mental model means close without consulting the user, whoever's using your product, and they think it means something else, then there's a gap. And you are not going to be happy once you release that product if you don't talk to them. Term number five, user or end user. I've been saying user already, thinking that you guys know what it is. Hopefully you've got it kind of from context clues, but if you don't, I got you. So the end user is basically whoever is going to be using your product. For example, if we are talking about a product that acts as a marketplace, so a place where people sell and buy things, then you have two types of users. You have users that buy things, so the customers, and users that sell things, so the merchants. Term number six, user-centered. It's kind of self-explanatory, but basically it's all about the user. So when you're talking about user-centered design, you are keeping the user at the center of your entire design process. So at each step of the way, you are involving the user somehow in order to get their feedback so that you and your products are always centered around the user. Ideally, in this type of environment, feedback is constant, always coming in, ever flowing. In real life, that might not be the case. There are a few different things that get in the way of that, but ideally, it's always there. Turn number seven, agile or agile, agile, agile. <laughs> I've heard people say both. I say agile. The agile is the method of building things in increments within software development. So instead of trying to build an entire product in one shoot, you build it piece 
five piece. And usually within an agile environment, you're working in sprints. So sprints are the cycles that can range from one week, eight weeks, what's really up to your team um, and like what y'all do, but they're weekly cycles that dictate the time you are setting for yourself and your team to get these chunks of things that you're building piece by piece done. Agile methodologies allow for more flexibility, promote continuous learning, and also produce in shorter times, which is why it's so popular. However, <laughs> of course this is coming, design is still trying to figure out its best fit within this environment, which leads us into Lean UX, term number eight. So Lean UX is agile, but it adds a decision-making framework to the whole thing. So instead of trying to output as much as possible in the least amount of time possible, you put something out and then you pause to see what the outcome actually is. Did the change or addition of what you released affect users in any type of meaningful way? So this obviously is a little slower than just classic agile, but it does help to make sure that you're going in the right direction. So you can think of it like this. If you are using GPS on your phone and you get to a spot where there's not really that much signal and so your GPS is just kind of like not saying anything. Get to that red light, the light turns green. You can think of Agile as just going straight. You're driving straight, you're making progress, you're getting to where you need to go and then eventually your GPS comes on and it tells you you should have made a left like five lights ago. Whereas with Lean UX, you are sitting at the green light. Like people might be honking at you, your boss is breathing down your neck talking about when are we gonna get this done? You know, you have all this pressure on you, but finally you have this way to go. Your GPS signal returns and tells you turn left. So that way you didn't have to waste any time, money, effort, or gas driving in the wrong direction. Agile moves fast, but it's not always guaranteed that it's moving in the right direction. There's not a whole lot of time for feedback, at least the amount and depth of feedback that you sometimes need in order to guarantee that you are going in the right direction. They have their pros and cons. I'm a fan of Lean UX, of course, but it does take a little longer. It's not as fast, but it does get you validation faster. And that, in my opinion, is more important than just driving with no direction. Turn number nine, design sprints. So the design sprint was created by Google Ventures and was just another way to try and fit into this agile software development process. And this is something that you would do before jumping in to the actual software development. This five-day process typically involves representatives from each part of the organization that you're in. So if you have someone from finance, they're there. Someone from customer service, they're there. Someone from engineering's there. Someone from marketing. You try and get everyone together in one smallish but well-represented group and hash out a design within a week. I think it's awesome in theory. I have not seen it done in person yet. And it's understandably not done too often as far as I know because it takes up a lot of time and you're pulling people from different departments. So they're not doing their everyday job while they're involved in the sprint, which usually lasts at least a week. 
So in this design sprint, you start on Monday, you define your long-term goals, and then throughout the week, you map out everything, choose a challenge to focus on, and come up with design ideas to solve that challenge, and then you test it on Friday. Term number 10, the Pareto Principle, otherwise known as the 80-20 rule. So in the 80-20 rule, 80% 80 of the consequences come from 20% of the causes. What does that even mean? This is really just saying that the relationship between input and output are not balanced. And I'm going to use a UX example in a little bit just to kind of try and clear this up. So hopefully it'll be more easy to understand. Now, keep in mind that this is not a law of any kind. This is not set in stone at all. So it's not always true, but a lot of the time it is. So for the UX example I mentioned, you can think of it this way. 80% of your users are only going to use 20% of your features. Most of what you design is really not going to matter. What really matters is that critical experience that almost everyone seems to care about. So take Instagram, for example. Maybe I might be in the search page, maybe I might be on my own profile, but I'm usually on my timeline. Now, when Instagram changed their timeline from scrolling to just tapping, that shit was weird. <laughs> Anytime Instagram does some weird shit or it's not working, everybody goes to Twitter and complains about it. But it's usually having to do with the timeline not working and not really much else. The timeline is the focus. And that's because that is where most people are spending most of their time. So that's just one feature. Another application of the 80-20 rule here is that 20% of your code causes 80% of the errors. I know for me, when I'm doing web development, anytime I forget a semicolon, everything goes to hell. Like, how is something so small having this big of an effect? That, my friends, is an example of the 80-20 rule or the Pareto principle. So that's just something to keep in mind as you go through designing your products. What are your users mainly using? What is something that you cannot F up on? And the last term I have for you in this video is design thinking. Design thinking is basically a creative way to solve problems. Design thinking involves five main steps. So now I'll just go into it really quickly. So step one is you really have to understand the challenge. And that's where empathy comes in. People talk a lot of the time about how UX designers really need to have empathy. That's why. It's step one. Step two is defining the problem. So now that you have the challenge and you understand like what people are feeling, how do you define this problem and how to go forward on that? Step three is coming up with solutions. So ideating, brainstorming different ways to solve this issue. And then step four, you actually build that idea. You create a prototype. If you don't know what a prototype is, that's gonna be in the next one, coming in part two. And then you test that, which is the last step. Do people think this is cool? Does this make sense to people? Is it actually usable? You test a lot of things. And then my little step that I'm adding in afterward, which a lot of people have in their design processes, is to learn, analyze, and then iterate. Do it again. You go back to wherever you need to go to get that right. So if it turns out that during testing, you realize you actually did not understand what this problem was, you're going back to step one. If it's just something confusing in your design, then you might be going back to step three or step four. 
That is all I have for you guys today for part one of UX terms. I hope that you got something valuable from this, that you learned something new, that you had a good refresher wherever you are in your process, in your journey within UX. And if you found this helpful and you want to continue on this journey with me, don't forget to subscribe. I post new videos every Wednesday on UX and more and i hope you guys tune in looking forward to seeing you in the next video so don't miss out don't be late and i will talk to you guys later deuces